Yo, what's up, guys? Before we get into today's interview, I've got some amazing news for you all. Look, let's face it, the last 12 to 18 months for all of us have been a little bit crazy. Life and times just aren't like what they used to be, right? And some people are thriving, some people are just surviving. And what, what is the difference between the people that are really getting into what it is they want and creating a life that they desire and the people that are just getting by? What I've realized is these people have actually taken the time to stop, reevaluate what is happening right now and go from there. So I'm proud to announce that the Dream Out Loud family has created the first ever Dream Out Loud event called Redefine You. This event is going to be a one-day event live on the Gold Coast, Australia. But don't worry, if you're not on the Gold Coast, Australia, it's also going to be streamed virtual. So every single person that's listening to this right now or watching this, you guys can actually get access to this event and come and watch uh, live no matter where you are in the world. What this event is all going to be about, it's really taking the time for you to take a step back, redefine your life, reevaluate, reassess what is happening, who you are, what it is you want, and then create a really great bridge on how to actually get there within the next you know, 6 to 12, 18 months. This event is just going to be absolutely freaking amazing. I've made it super affordable for everybody. It's only $47 a ticket. You guys can get on virtually. You can come live in person. And for all of my listeners right now, if you use the code DREAM10, you're going to get a further $10 off the event ticket just from actually being a listener of the show, okay? So I really look forward to seeing all of you guys there. Come in person or stream this virtually. It's going to be amazing. And just imagine here for a second if this was the event. Imagine five years from now, if you look back right now, and this was the event that you really decided to draw the line in the sand and redefine who you are, what it is you want, and what you want to do. And because of the decision you've made today, you've ended up in a much better position three, four, five years from now. Because here's the thing, if you think back five years ago from now, it feels like that time just went so fast, doesn't it? It feels like it was just yesterday. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the next five years. But now... You've got the choice right now to make a better decision to attend this one-day event and, and stream this. Be with us. Be with the family. Really look and redefine your whole life. What it is you want? What it is where you want to go? And let's roll up our sleeves and make it happen. Guys, hit the link below in the description. Grab your ticket today. Hit Use the code DREAM10. Get a further $10 off. Get bring down only $37 and I'm going to see you there. Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. Okay, today's guest is an author, a speaker, ex-FBI and was actually the FBI's leading hostage negotiator for several years. During his 24-year career in the Bureau, he was trained in the art of negotiation, not only by the FBI, but Scotland Yard and Harvard Law School. He also received the Attorney General's Award for Excellence in Law Enforcement, in Law Enforcement 
and FBI Agents Association Award for Distinguished and Exemplary Service. Exempt, exemplary. That's a big word. Exemplary service. He has since gone on to teach at universities all over, including Harvard University, teaching at the Art of Negotiation, and is now the CEO and founder of the Black Swan Group, which teaches world-class negotiation tactics and leadership training for every step of your career. So please help me and welcome the guy who went from selling seeds and Christmas cards door-to-door as a young kid to now a world-class speaker and trainer, ex-FBI negotiation expert, and the author of Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depends on It, my friend, Mr. Chris Voss. Thank you for having me on. Apologize <laughs> so for for the complicated words. You know, the 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 more syllables a word has, the more important it is, right? That's exactly right. I, I say it every time. You know, when I when I started this podcast, I was like, you know, I want to give every one of my guests, you know, an incredible uh, introduction. And then I forgot that I barely know how to read. <laughs> and I I started this, and then every every new episode, I'm like, wow, this is so challenging for me. So the the hardest part of the interview is just reading the bio but um you know i probably butchered that but everyone's gonna be able to listen to this and really get an idea for who you are what you do and just how freaking amazing you are at all of that so i appreciate you coming on chris thanks my pleasure so i've got a couple uh rapid fire questions i want to hit you so my listeners can get to know you really fast and then we can jump into a bit of uh, the meat are you ready all right let's go for it beautiful so where did you grow up uh, Mount Pleasant, Iowa, small town in southeast Iowa, Midwest United States. Love it. And where do you live now? Las Vegas, Nevada. Beautiful place. What is your favorite food? Probably ribeye steak. <laughs> Love it. And this would be an interesting one. If you could have any type of superpower, what would it be? Yeah, to completely and accurately read people's emotions. Yeah, that's amazing. This is, is so interesting because my superpower that I always want to have would actually be pretty much what you have. It's like, I think if you can really master the art of negotiation and persuasion and be the, the absolute best in the world, like that's, it's a freaking great superpower to have, hey? It's um, been good to me so far. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what, what is your X factor? X factor? Um, wow. You know, I like to learn and I, not not just learn, but learn and apply. I mean, I like, you know, I I like the idea of being able to outthink people that are much smarter than I am. Yeah, I love it. And what was your dream job when you were a kid? Wow. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I ever really dreamed of a particular job growing up. I don't know, maybe be cowboy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah and be a superhero uh, be a superhero yeah superhero. i want to be a superhero do you think it, that's somewhat manifested into your life now um like you're not flying around with a cape on but you know negotiating and saving people's lives is kind of i like the idea of helping people i like the i really like the idea of helping people yeah you yeah. know i mean some 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 of those sort of cliche things uh helping people that need help yeah i like that a lot yeah lovely who's someone who's inspired you to get to where you are and why wow um 
you know, there's been, there's probably been a variety of people. I remember, uh, I, I met a guy, um, named John Domenico Pico. He was a UN hostage negotiator that got all of the Western hostages, all the Western hostages out of Lebanon in the eighties. And I was just blown away by that. And he was, he was, it was an inspiring dude. He's an inspiring dude. You know, he, he walked in, he wrote a great book called man without a gun. Um, and he basically walked in by himself each time met with Hezbollah and talked him into letting people go. I mean, that really inspired me. Wow. Check that one out. That's, that's awesome. So I would love to first start. How did, how did you get to where you are? Like how does somebody a get into the FBI and then become the leading negotiation expert and trainer? And, you know, most people that join the FBI don't, start out their professional career uh, as an FBI agent or even thinking they're going to head that way. Some do, but they're a minor, uh, minority, you know, vast majority agents are second career professionals. They start out doing something else. Circumstances of life put them in the direction of the FBI. I wanted, I was a local cop. All At the time, all I ever wanted to be was a local cop. And I get interested in federal law enforcement because a man that I met with Secret Service said, Secret Service, you know, I traveled all over the world with the Secret Service. And I remember thinking, like, somebody paid you to travel around the world? Now, that sounds cool. And so I got interested in the FBI. Didn't really know what the FBI was about, you know, uh, fortunately or unfortunately. If I'd have known, I'd have still got it. But uh, it ended up being a great ride. But I just started out wanting to be a cop. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm really curious to sort of know the, so I would imagine the negotiation um, tactics, negotiation sort of teaching and learnings that the FBI does would probably be like world-class. I'm curious to know who teaches the FBI? Like, is it backed by, you know, is it is it kind of like NLP type of hypnosis, sort of like Milton Erickson type of thing? Is it stem from there or is it its own sort of, thingy yeah well first of all you know world class is kind of like an overblown term a little bit um uh it sounds pretty cool yeah um you know but i mean i don't know that the bar for world class is all that high but the bureau started um hostage negotiation really got to start with the nypd a guy named frank bowles and a psychologist named harvey sloshberg Saw the need, and uh, a couple couple incidents happened that caught law enforcement's attention. The biggest one that got everybody's attention was the 72 Munich Olympics. But there were some other things that happened in New York. I think the Olympics got NYPD's attention because there's a very large Jewish, Jewish population in New York City. And, of course, Israelis, Jews were the target of that, that hostage-taking and murder in Munich in 1972. So uh, uh, NYPD got credit for starting it. Now, to be completely fair, the idea had its seeds in other places at the same time because, you know, the circumstances that caused NYPD to think about it, other places did too. And then the Bureau had some stuff go bad. You know, most of the law enforcement organizations had SWAT teams. They figured that's all that they needed. They didn't know they needed negotiators. 
Bureau had SWAT, just like almost everybody else. And the Bureau had uh, a, a massive screw up with bad negotiations and uh, got sued, taken to the, the cleaners over mishandling. So the Bureau looked to the NYPD to originally learn the skills. That's where the Bureau FBI got started, was learning from the NYPD. And then the profession overall, both NYPD and the FBI started learning to try and get better at it and realize that, you know, we all realize we need to pick stuff up from other places. Probably the next really big turning point in the learning curve for the FBI really came when Gary Nessner took over the FBI's crisis negotiation unit. Gary Nessner and a guy named Fred Lansley. And their thought was really that it was more crisis intervention than classic bargaining. And so they start, you know, they had experience with suicide hotlines. And so the Bureau's learning really, the turning point there was um, crisis intervention as a learning model, learning from different crisis intervention experts, psychologists that specialized in that. And that was really the next big infusion of thought for the FBI. And as we move forward under Gary and then subsequently, we started looking, you know, the, uh, the next big influence was really combining bargaining with crisis intervention and then learning that it was all sort of rolled up into one, which for lack of a better term is emotional intelligence. So the bureaus really first started looking, learning from NYPD, then learning from crisis intervention and then um, the emotional intelligence learning that came after that. Now. You know, I'm, I'm not connected with their learning journey like I was before, but everybody's learning from neuroscience these days. Mm, yeah. So, so, okay. So from what I can understand, it's sort of about, it's really coming in with a, with a win-win. So like, how can we actually help people understand this? And, you know, because a, a big thing is what sometimes people think is negotiating or selling or persuasion is manipulative and it's bad. So how come this is a skill that most people should master and, and get really good at. Um, I'll answer that question because I had some more thoughts to me occur to me as to where the, the FBI has learned from. The FBI has learned a lot uh, in, in today's modern day crisis negotiation. There's really three entities that trade a lot of information on how to get better best practices. It's the FBI. It's the London Metropolitan Police, Scotland Yard. It is uh, the negotiators in Australia and the Canadians, the RCMP. And we really started uh, exchanging information pre and pretty much between those entities when we started bumping into each other all the time and at different embassies around the world because their citizens were being taken hostage. So, you know, I'm showing up and I'm seeing a guy from the RCMP that I've seen before. I'm seeing a guy from one New South Wales that I've seen before, you know, on behalf of our citizens. So we start bumping into each other. London Mets oversees all the time on kidnappings. And we're like, hey, we're working against these same groups. Let's exchange knowledge. And so there's really been a tremendous exchange of knowledge between those agencies because we have a tendency to cross paths all the time in crises. Yeah, that makes sense. So, 
So, so back to your question, which yes. I forgot what it was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's okay. So what I, I guess I was asking, you know, when people do think of negotiating, which like, you know, I've done your oh, masterclass. Why is it not evil? Yeah, like that's that's the big thing. And sometimes people think, well, well, if you've got the power to manipulate and, you know, win, it's like in, some people can kind of look at it in that evil sort of way. So how come this is a skill that a, most people really need to master uh, and that they actually do every single day? Well, it's an effective tool, period, and uh, or a set of tools, which means by definition it's neutral now how it's wielded in in the in the hands of the beho- or the hands of the user like in one person's hand a scalpel saves a life in another person's hand it's a knife and it's an instrument of murder it's really who's using it and it's kind of an interesting discussion uh around empathy what we refer to as tactical empathy very close to what daniel goleman would call cognitive empathy and that you know, there's all these crazy connotations of the word empathy. And every now and then, you'll see an article that says the dark side of empathy, because empathy is as understood as to what it really is. It's not sympathy. It's not compassion. It's actually a ridiculously effective emotional influence tool. And you'll see an article about the dark side of empathy because it's so effective, which means it can be used for nefarious purposes. Cognitive empathy that Daniel Goleman talks about, he says that the, the best users of it are sociopaths because it's so effective and because it's effective and durable and low maintenance, which is exactly what a sociopath is after. Uh, communication, ability to communicate with people that doesn't require a lot of work. Sociopaths are not known for their work ethic. You think hard worker, you don't think sociopath. You think somebody wants maximum uh, results from minimum effort. And that's why uh, somebody shared with me the other day an article called The Dark Side of Empathy, because it really is so effective if you decouple it from the idea that it's sympathy. And then it's in the hands of the beholder. And yeah, you could use it for manipulation. You can use it for good or for evil. It depends upon what you what you want it for. Yeah. So it really comes down to the person. Same thing with money. You know, it's like sometimes people think, well, money makes you a worse person. What's well, really like, no, it's just an amplifier. If you're if you're a shit person, it's gonna make you a shittier person. If you're a great person, you can get you more good. And you know, and the more and more I've learned um, about negotiation sales and and um persuasion i guess the more i've been able to do good with it you know and make more impact with it so i guess that's it's so true there um for people that are perhaps listening to this and they're thinking well you know i'm not gonna when am i ever gonna um negotiate and have to save a kidnapping from a bank robbery like which would totally have to hear your story in a minute but i'm never gonna do that where else can they use these types of skills everywhere Everywhere. When you're buying coffee, when you're at the grocery store, when you're working on your cable bill, when you're buying a car, when you're negotiating with, you're influencing your significant other. Because, you know, the bank robber, the kidnapper, all human decision making is guided by the same parameters. You make your decisions based on what you care about. So you start looking at what people care about. And there's there are universal aspects to it. For example, if there weren't 
universal emotional aspects to human decision making. What countries in the world is Facebook not a powerful social influence? Only the countries where it's banned. And it's banned because of the universal nature of human influence, emotional intelligence, emotional influence. And it's so powerful that some countries are so afraid of the persuasiveness of the social media that they ban it. They ban it in China. You know, uh, wait a minute, don't Asians think different than Arabs? Well, if they did, China wouldn't ban it. (laughs) So there are a lot of things, if we look for them, that show that human decision-making is pretty universal. Influence is pretty universal. Every single hostage negotiation team in, in the world uses the same set of skills. The hostage negotiation team in Tokyo, in Cape Town, South Africa, in Bogota, Colombia, in Baghdad, Iraq. Because human decision-making, regardless of the circumstances, meets the same basic guidelines. Right. Um, so I would love, like I've heard uh, a bit of story because I've, you know, I've done your stuff. And by the way, you just mentioned before, so you can use it when, when buying a car. The last car I bought, I know shit, Chris used your, uh, I forget what you called, but your actual strategy. And, yeah. and I was, I was in tears with my, with my friend laughing. I'm like, this works incredibly well. And I, I think <laughs> I actually got my car for, I was saying this morning, I think I got it close to half price for what they're actually nice. asking. And I, and I was like, I can't believe this, <laughs> this is just incredible, you know? And, um, you know, what you teach is just some in, in, insane stuff. So to kind of give everybody a bit of a backstory on, uh, on you and the, the work you have done, do you want to share a bit about your, you know, the bank robbery, uh, story, how, how that all go down? Yeah. Well, bank robbery, bank robbery with hostages, Brooklyn, New York, I'm in the office, lower Manhattan, buddy of mine, Charlie walks up, says a bank with bank alarm hostages brooklyn let's go you know we rolled out then and the first the first bad guy to get on the phone with us you know we didn't realize but actually emulated the characteristics of a great ceo or great business leader at the negotiation table a great ceo great business leader the most influential person on the other side of the table what made you think that like what gave that away well we didn't in hindsight but uh, yeah. um, so I, I didn't learn this till I was in Harvard. I, you know, I, I didn't really understand that, you know, I'm doing a negotiation at Harvard and one guy says, yeah, you know, a, a great business leader, great CEO is always going to blame people that are not in the room. So if the CEO is at the table, the CEO is going to say, you know, I got a board of directors. I don't have any influence on what's going on. If I make the wrong decision, my board is going to fire me. You know, they're laying all the responsibility off on somebody else so that they don't get pinned down. So I don't know this at the time, but the bank robber in Brooklyn, he literally starts out saying like, look, the guys that I'm with are dangerous. I'm scared of these guys. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. And as a matter of fact, I don't want them to catch me talking to you on the phone. So every now and then I'm going to have to hang up or put you on speaker because I'm I'm scared of these guys. 
Now, this dude was in complete control, and there weren't a bunch of other people in the bank with him. There was actually only one other bank robber, not a whole bunch of them. And the other bank robber was frightened out of his mind. He was worried about getting killed. And now we don't know this at the time. We think we're actually, our initial assessment of this guy is that he's an inadequate personality because he won't take responsibility for anything. He seems really tentative. You know, we're feeding it to our psychologists. And they're like, wow, this guy sounds like an inadequate personality. I mean, like he was extra adequate. <laughs> he was anything but inadequate. But he understood that if he pretended like he had no authority or influence, that he couldn't get pinned down on a decision. And then, you know, 10 years later, I'm at Harvard and I'm saying, and they're saying like, no, that's a tactic of a really smart CEO. Blame the board. Then you can't make it make a decision. I got no idea this was going down at the time, but this, this guy was a highly manipulative control freak guy and he knew instinctively that in order to keep from getting backed into a corner he just had to pretend he had no authority yeah and so okay so so you get called to the job you're the first one who gets put on the phone with this guy well uh so and to clarify if i may we went to the job now we were not summoned you know and, and i had uh I mean, you want to really get ahead in your career. I had an executive in the government once say, run to trouble. Now, I had done this sort of inadvertently throughout my law enforcement career because I liked excitement. Now, the great thing about running to trouble in whatever organization you're in is the people you work for notice that when the bell rings, you show up. You know, it's forgive me for an American expression. You know, we like to say in the United States, answer the bell. Mm -hmm. You know, so you show up when a bell rings. You don't got to be, be wait to summon. You have great initiative. You know, employers, bosses love somebody with initiative to go after the problem. So it impresses the people that you work for. Secondly, the flip side of that is if you're running into trouble, then there aren't that many people that are going to second guess what's going on. Like, it's almost a no-lose situation. You run into a crisis, there are a bunch of people saying, like, hold on, hold on. We need to think this through and make sure we do the right thing. You know, the uh, paralysis of analysis or the second guessing at, at the, in the moment is at a minimum because, you know, the, the, the garbage has hit the fan. Uh, things are a mess. House is burning down very few things you do to get criticized. So running the trouble is a great strategy, whatever you do for a living. Now you got to want to play in a big game, but if you really understand that here's the opportunity to shine with the least amount of criticism. Now that doesn't mean there's no criticism. You can never eliminate that. If you're afraid of criticism, you need to stay in bed, but with the least amount of criticism run into chaos. So we, uh, and I'd make the mistake of not showing up one other time and to, to this day regret the one time I didn't show. So, you know, the bank alarm, Charlie says, let's go. We go. And we get out there, uh, show up to command post, then you get to the negotiation operations center. We get a big uh, representation, NYPD, FBI. 
It's a bank with hostages, which by definition, you know, it's kind of going to be a joint operation. We know the PD guys pretty well. We've trained with them on an annual basis. NYPD's always got this great annual training event. They always invited us. We knew these guys. Blended the teams. We're speaking basically, we have the same vernacular. Hostage negotiation teams tend to blend very well. SWAT teams do not because the SWAT teams typically have different coding. You know, you look at a building, in you're going to, well, not chefs in the kitchen, but for example, like one SWAT team's going to call the front of the building, the white side, and the other SWAT uh, team's going to call the front of the building, the black side, or they're going to, they're going to, you know, ground level might be level one for one team. Ground level might be the A level for another team. It's just color coding alphabet so that they can talk to each other. And if they say white A1, that might mean the ground level front of the building on the left side as you face the building. To one team, to another team, it's going to be the back of the building. Yeah. And that's why they have a tendency to not blend as well. But hostage negotiators don't have that problem. So PD commander. Our two commanders, the PD says, I'll take the inside. The bureau guy says, I'll take the outside. I'll be on the inner perimeter. I'll control communication there. PD commander, a guy named, um, uh, uh, his name will come, has come to me, um, Hugh McGowan. Great, great guy. Brilliant dude. Hugh points at a PD detective, says, you're first on the phone. He points at me. You're the, he says, you're the coach. Puts a PD detective on the phone, guy named Joe. Joe does a great job taking all the negative energy out of the situation. What some people would call a stalemate after about five hours. In point of fact, almost all the threat and and uh, uh, the negativity is almost all completely gone. You know, there's no energy, which means there's no bad energy. So uh, Hugh decides to swap negotiators. He points to Joe. He says, I'm going to pull you. He points to me. says, you're on the phone. So I'm second, second up, second up bat. Right. Okay. So take us through this, right? Because I'm imagining in in many different negotiations or, you know, even business deals or anything, you get to have, you get, you could walk into something where the person could be more negatively charged, which in this situation that they're more like, they would be wanting to get it their way, right? And then you could also right. walk into situations where it's like, hey, how can we do business here and make it a win-win, right? So how do you kind of w- walk us through this? What, what are some tactics you'd kind of use when the person on the other end of the deal is more like, they're not budging. It's like, I want it my way and that's how it's going to be. Yeah, and I, will, and I will tell you, you know, I'm, I'm very cautious of the phrase win-win. Um, and we don't actually use it at all. Now, that doesn't mean you want the other side to lose. We're not win-lose. We're really, uh, we're into positive sum. You know, zero sum, I win, you lose. Positive sum, we both get gains. The problem with win-win is um, people use that phraseology to exploit other people frequently. If I get into a conversation with somebody and they say, look, I want to do a win-win deal. And they say that right off the bat. I know they mean win-lose. And they mean to cut my throat. Wow. Okay. And so that's why we're 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 very very cautious of it. I I was doing training one time for a company, 
And uh, one of their top salespeople who chose not to be in the training, I bump into at the cafeteria. And this guy says, says, hey, like I hear you say splitting the difference is bad. And I hear you that you say that win-win negotiations are bad. And I want you to know that I split the difference and do win-win all the time. So why do you think it's bad? And I say to him, well, in point of fact, most cutthroat negotiators just double or triple what they want. And then they say, let's do a win-win deal. Let's split the difference. And they wind up where they wanted to be all along. And it was all just a big subterfuge. It was a con. It was an illusion. They acted like they gave in, but they didn't. They just doubled what they wanted to fool the other side. And a guy kind of looks sheepish and he said, uh, yeah, I always ask for more than what I want so I can settle where I really want to be. <laughs> you know, that's that's your win-win guy who says yeah. win-win right off the bat. Yeah, so it's a facade. So it's kind of just coming it's in with... facade. Yeah, coming in with no bullshit. And it's like, let's actually just resolve this. So, you know, so you've got, you know, someone who's kind of, you know, and, and I'm just using the hostage negotiation because I'm assuming that this guy probably wasn't like, Hey, thanks so much for showing up. I've learned my lesson. Can I come out now? You know, I'm sure he was probably like, you know, exactly. leave me alone. You know, so how, how do you kind of dissolve this and, and flip it to eventually have a good deal? Like, are there some certain... Well, uh, and as you said, the guy says, I want it my way. You know, I want it my way. He's not going to give yeah. it up. Well, the, you know, then you, you, you come in with emotional intelligence, understanding approach. Like the application of empathy moves the deal towards you. Tactical empathy moves the deal towards you. In many cases, you know, when you get a that's right out of somebody, when you get genuine, that's right, you know, a genuine feeling of being understood, the deal is just around the corner. And I love that metaphor for being just around the corner because typically if something's just around the corner, you're really close and you can't see it. And that's why a lot of people have trouble with the application of empathy or getting a that's right out of somebody or making them feel understood because they don't see how that's immediately going to make the deal. And again, if it's just around the corner, you are so close and you can't see it. So if your gut instinct isn't telling you you're, you're close, you got no idea. So with the other person, it's not, not going to move. You know, what's the feeling from the other side? The feeling from the other side is I really want what I want. So how do I articulate that, which simultaneously deactivates it, softens them up? So if you refuse to move, I'm going to say, wow, sounds like you really know what you want. Sounds like you've given this a lot of thought. And then I'm going to let that sink in. And, and by it, yeah. sink in, yeah, by sink in, I mean, they're going to be neural, neurochemical changes in your brain that's going to change your mindset in the moment. Mm. And uh, somewhere or another, I've done this enough times that I rely on it. I know a new path is going to open up to me. And if you've never done it before, you don't you don't see that you don't have that gut instinct for it. A um, 
a neuroscientist that I listen to all the time now, a guy named Andrew Huberman, Huberman Labs podcast neuroscientist professor at uh, Stanford. He says, as human beings, we think in terms of duration, path, and outcome. Where do I want to be? How am I going to get there? How long is it going to take me to get there? And this idea of the deal being around the corner, you don't no longer see the path if you've never done it before. You don't know it's around the corner. And you don't. And since you don't know it's around the corner, you don't know where you're going to end up or how long it's going to take you to get there. Until you're used to it, which only comes with practice, but does come with practice, then it's going to throw you off. And then after you've done it a few times, you're like, ah, all right, this is cool. I'm just going to follow the process. It's going to work out. Yeah. So how about for people that, so let's say they, they go through these things and they understand that cause it's kind of a game and that's kind of what I do enjoy when having conversations with it is, and I'm sure you do too. It's like, it's a bit of a game. It's like, this is fun. So how about for people that, you know, perhaps they feel incongruent saying or doing things like it doesn't feel like that's not something I would say, or is this just something they've got to get over? It's like, if you want to play in this field, you need to get over that. Or is there a way for them to kind of deal with that better mentally? Like, do they have to be someone they're not, or is it better to use this in their own way? Well, you know, first of all, the first part that you said that it's fun, it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's a lot of fun. And, and your life, uh, you know, life actually becomes much more enjoyable. Like um, we've got a business coach, Black Swan Group. You know, we apply the Black Swan method. That doesn't mean that we still don't need business organizing principles separate from negotiation. We do. We use EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, and we got an EOS coach, a guy named Jonathan Smith. Phenomenal, phenomenal EOS coach. Now, he's working with us for so long that finally he's like, you know, you guys got to teach me this tactical empathy thing. Teach me a little bit of the Black Swan method. Because, you know, about a year ago, in the midst of the pandemic, we're charging based on the value that we bring to the table which means we charge a lot. Mm -hmm. And he saw us raising our prices while he was not. And he's like, you guys got to teach me how to raise my prices. Well, you guys are reasonable. And so we said, cool, but you got to get in a lot of small stakes practice, small stakes practice for high stakes results. So he, he's got a, he's got a contractor putting in a generator at his house because he, he lives someplace where the power goes out. And the guy was argumentative, and he, he tells us, you know, normally I would have argued back, but instead I used tactical empathy on this guy. This dude loves me now. <laughs> and I love the fact that before I'd have argued with him, I'd have called him names, which means I'd have felt horrible for the entire day. Now I put tactical empathy in place. Not only did I get my generator ahead of everybody else, but I didn't feel horrible and so, you know, it is fun. It is satisfying to do this. Now, the second part of your question, when we introduce people to this, they're like, ah, it doesn't feel right. You know, that's not the way I would say it. It feels unnatural. Well, you don't know that what you're saying feels like how you do it, or that's not me. That was learned. You just forgot how long ago you learned it, and it's so baked into your neural circuits you've come to think it's part of your identity when it's, it's learned, which means if you learned that you could learn this 
All you got to do is get into practice, which is another thing, actually, uh, you know, it gets me back to Huberman because Huberman talks about something called, and, and other people talked about something called neuroplasticity, your ability to learn or how awkward or how much of a barrier feeling awkward is. And you were just talking to me, well, that feels awkward, so I don't want to do it. Well, along about our mid-20s, our neuroplasticity, our ability to learn, our ability to cope with awkwardness goes dormant in our mid-20s. That doesn't mean we lose it. It's still there. It's just gone dormant. Hmm. Now, actually, the feeling of awkwardness is a feeling of your learning ability being woken back up. And the circuits are now being run back through a part of your brain that's kind of been dormant for a while. And that's what people, anybody over the age of 25 is pretty much reacting to, which is actually a really good sign. It's actually an indicator of accelerated learning if you embrace it as opposed to running from it. All right. So how, how is there ways to sort of like strengthen that muscle? Is it just a matter of like, is that just the whole learning something new every day kind of thing? Brushing your teeth with your left hand or what? Well, yeah. You, you, you've seen me talk about brushing my teeth with my left hand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a number of different wacky ways to, uh, to wake it up. And similar to brushing your teeth with your left hand, like if you're into any sort of physical fitness, doing exercises that challenge your ability to keep your balance actually also wakes up your neuroplasticity i mean there's so you know think like if you brush your teeth with your left hand stand on one leg where you're done or you know i've got i got a doctor that gave me this balance board and he said brush your teeth while you're trying to balance the balance board oh, wow <laughs> and you know i i got i got a girlfriend now that i got a great relationship with i'm very close to so we get to the point where she finally seen me brush my teeth before I go to bed. And like, I'm on this balance board. It's just like, what are you doing? Like, has a circus come to the town? What you? The next thing I know, you're going to be patting your head and rubbing your stomach and, and trying to brush your teeth. And I'm like, hey, hey listen, baby. <laughs> Hey, her mind His brain is, is going to stay sharp. Yeah, that's right. She's probably just thinking like, man, if he can multitask like that, imagine, imagine what I'm in for. Tonight. <laughs> 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 uh, Chris, there's something um, I know you guys do at your, your events and your seminars you do is like the role play situations. And um, yeah. if you're up for it, I'd love to uh, do something like this and, I've definitely never role played with a guy before, so maybe this is my learning. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but if you're up for something like that, I'd um, yeah, let's give it a crack. How does that kind of go down? Yeah, well, and and I may offer you modifications on the role players as we start, just definitely. to make it more of a learning learning experience. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, however you want to do it, man. Cool. Yeah, however. I'm all yours. So, like, what what do you kind oh, of? Oh, you do want that? me to suggest a role play? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, how do you? Uh, like the, the same kind of things you, you, you put people under pressure to be like, how do they actually react in, in these situations? Well, you know, there's pressure in that. And then we could, we could do one that's actually um, because sometimes the role plays are hard because it's an artificial situation, mm -hmm. you know? So we do the 60 seconds or she dies thing, which is high pressure. 
just in order to give you uh we'll do we'll do a quick 60 seconds so she dies and then then we'll do the other follow-up one that's based on some of the same skills so okay. i'm the bank robber you're the hostage <clears throat> negotiator i'm trapped in a bank you don't know how many bank robbers you don't know how many hostages all you know is that you and your law enforcement colleagues have the banks around it's your job to talk me out you're going to call in on the phone when we're ready to get started, you're going to say, ring, ring, I'm going to answer, we'll be off to the races. Before that, you need to only know what your restrictions are. And these are the real-life restrictions and real-life hostage negotiation. Mm -hmm. You can't give me transportation. Mm -hmm. You can't give me weapons. You can't give me drugs or alcohol. And fourth and last is there's no hostage exchange. So I can't ask no, but for the hostage out. Well, that's not an exchange. Oh, what would be an exchange? Your mother's here. If she comes in, right, if we let yeah. your mother come in, we let people go. Okay. Your priest is here. If we let your priest come in, we let people go. If I come in, we let people go. That's an exchange. Yeah. Okay. So there's no hostage exchange. People come out. Nobody comes in. Okay. So the whole intention is to get people out and I can't give you any of the good stuff. That you probably yeah, no want. weapons, no weapons, no drugs, no, no transportation. Yeah. So unless you have any other questions, we could do it. <laughs> okay. So am I calling you? Yeah, you all you gotta do is say ring ring. Okay, ring ring. I need a car in 60 seconds or she dies. Hi, who am I speaking with? I have no intention of telling you that. What are you, an idiot? You think I'm gonna tell you what my name is? You got 55 seconds. Okay, well, I'm gonna introduce myself. My name is Morgan. You're speaking with Morgan, and I'm here to help you today. Now, okay, help me by giving me a car. Okay, you want to help me? Give me a car. So okay, we've agreed so, that you're going to help me by giving me a car. Is that what we did? Yeah, I'm, we I'm just an agreement. So I'm, I'm here. I'm here to help with you today. And at first, I need. No, don't give me that Morgan. help nonsense. I want a car. You want a car? Part okay. of that, don't you understand? You got 45 seconds. That's the help I want. How, you want to give me a help? Give me a car. Okay, I'm here to help you. How? How you do you keep suppose saying I do this? that? And it sounds like a lie. You've got 40 seconds. Stop with suppose, the hell crap and give me a car. How do you suppose I can get you a car in 40 seconds? So you can't give me a car. It's only a matter of time. We can definitely work and get you a car, but in no, 40 don't give seconds. Me this. We can work stuff. Either you can or you can't. How much time do you need? Well, how much time do you need? I, let's. How much time do you need? I'm going to need a lot longer than 40 seconds here. Who, who how am much I speaking time? with? Good. Who am I'm speaking glad. with? We've agreed. We've agreed that you can get a car. You're expressing the only problem to giving me a car is time. So tell me how much tell me how much time you need. We're, we're going to need a lot longer than 40 seconds. I'm not I'm not sure how long tell it's going me. to take me here today. How long? Then call me back when you know. Okay, and when I call you back, Go how would you like whoever. me to address you? Call me back when you know how much time okay. you're gonna need. Sounds Click. like you've really thought this plan through today. I just hung up. <laughs> Man, that's intense. I guarantee you, your heart rate is up right now. Absolutely. <laughs> so what? Okay, so you've hung up. Would it be a matter of, like, would you expect this person to call back or would I call back? Call or? me back, see what happens. <laughs> Here we go. Oh my God. Well, he's going to ask, where's the car? 
No. I'm going to say, kidding. okay, we've why, okay. Now, how did you get yourself into that position of being? Me? Yeah. Because I, I came to the agreement saying, yeah, we can get you a car. Well, you started out with Weasel Woods. Yeah, what's a Weasel Woods? <laughs> I'm here to help you. Okay. That's a Weasel word. Now, you know what I want? Help like beauty's in the eye of the beholder. What do you really want to do when you call me on the phone? Um, you want to put me in handcuffs? Yeah. Does that help? No. <laughs> That's a deception, is it not? Yeah. Now, what was the next deception? Um, I'm going to need more than 40 seconds. Yeah. That makes it sound like it's see what well, see one of the things in business negotiations to, to start with. First of all, be leery of the word help. I learned that a long time ago. You know, help is help is in the eye of the beholder. Help when somebody says they want to help me. No, they don't. They got an agenda <laughs> they're trying to put on me. Mm -hmm. Problem one. Problem two. People really don't know how to tell the truth about not being able to do something. The vast majority, and there's a massive amount of lying and deception in business and personal interactions. Now, the word lie has all this evil intent to it. But in most cases, it's defensiveness. I, I, defensiveness. I don't know how to tell you the truth. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some, some words that are, you know, kind of weaselly, not because I'm trying to cheat you, but I don't have a gentle way of saying it's not going to happen. Mm. One, of the, one of the really big things that we teach in a black swan method is how to say no gently and keep the conversation going, how to say no and not damage the relationship. There's a real key, you know, how to be honest in a way that the other side can hear it. So how would I have... What would I have done better? How do you how do, you do that better? How do I say no? Because I, I guess that's what I was trying to say. I'm not getting you a car, but I was I was trying to calm you, or I guess build some sort of rapport, like by telling you, "Hey, my name's Morgan. What's your name?" He, you know, angry to that. So what what do you kind of what do you? Well, do? Oh, sir, when you when you when you're at a, when you're at a you're a business gathering. You you walk up to somebody. What's the first? And you want to introduce yourself. What's the first physical thing you do? Smile. Put out your hand, right? Yeah, you I probably guess. smile and put out your hand simultaneously. Yeah. And then what's the first thing you say? Hi. And then? My name is Morgan. Right. And then what do you do? What's your name? You wait for them to respond. Uh... You don't walk up to people and say, hi, my name is Morgan. What's your name? Probably. You probably put out your hand and say, hi, I'm Morgan. And you wait for them to respond. You wait for them to choose the next move. Mm -hmm. Now, you typically taught, get the other person's name, use it over and over, because they love the sound of their name. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things that's been so overused. It's so annoying now. <laughs> Yeah. And I know that as soon, as soon as you get my name, you're going to start beating me with it to try to beat me into submission. This is why you want to give the other person the option to give that name.
because my name, my first name is actually precious to me and I don't want it used against me. Mm. So the first thing is you give me a chance to voluntarily give it. And then if it's voluntary on my side and I feel like it's voluntary, it's, that's a whole separate dynamic in the conversation. Now there are a lot of salespeople that can't wait to get your name because that's how they're going to manipulate you into the deal. Mm. And there are a few things like that. The yet getting the getting them to say yes is another thing. Like that. That's why people react so negatively as soon as you start trying to pull them down the yes path because they they've been trapped there before. They know that that cheese that they're being drawn to is actually on a mousetrap getting ready to slam on their head as soon as you take a bite out of the cheese. So there are a number of things out there that when they were first proposed, they might have been a good idea, but they've been so overused by people that have cheated us that even if you're well-intentioned, the minute you engage in behavior that the slimy salesperson engaged in, you know, the, the timeshare person who's bankrupting you now, then even if you're a good person, when you manipulate, when you imitate that behavior, they got an instinctive gut reaction. What's the phrase? Once bitten by a snake, you're afraid of ropes. That rope's not evil, but the person has been bitten by a snake. Right, That's why okay. you got to be careful of some of those things. Yeah. So get so getting the information from them voluntarily. So pausing and okay, that was that was intense. So. So the second one is a less intense, uh, less high. All right, so yeah, now let, let's, tell me so, something you're passionate about and then just be willing to just be willing to go with it. What are you passionate about? Um, I'm passionate about personal development for young people. What about, oh, personal development for young, what about personal development for young people makes you passionate? Uh, I, I believe if it was taught in schools, at least a level of like more learning about emotional intelligence in schools, there would be less unhappy people, less depression, less uh, suicide, uh, domestic violence, all this kind of stuff. Sounds like you actually care about making the world a better place. Yeah, I do. Now, how did that feel when I said that? Um, it sounded very like you're, you're very, what's the word, wanting to understand me and wanting to, like curious about me and why I'm passionate about it. Right. But tell me how it felt. Uh, it felt good. It felt listened to, felt heard. Right. Which is, that's what we're after. And right after we do the 60 seconds of she dies exercise, you know, when you, when we're teaching the black swan method. We're going to immediately go into that exercise because for you to understand how effective these skills are and for you to not be afraid to use the black swan method, it needs to be used on you. Mm -hmm. And you know it's being used on you. And you still respond positively. You, you know what it feels like to actually be listened to. You know how satisfying that could be. Even when you know it's being used on you, yeah, you know it feels good, and each each time it feels good, 
you know, as human beings, we're hardwired to collaborate. You just want to collaborate with somebody you're safe with. Paul Ross, co-author of the book, Never Split the Difference is really written through a collaboration between myself, my son, Brandon, and Paul Ross. Paul's a genius writer. And Paul, also a great researcher, said humans are hardwired to collaborate from our ancestors. The ants, you know, the caveman that didn't collaborate died alone in the dark. The cavemen that collaborated survived the onslaught from the saber-toothed tiger. They got together and they figured out how to build fire. They, you know, they when they were cold, they all slept together, warmed each other with their body heat. So we're hardwired to collaborate. We just want to know who we're safe to collaborate with. And that's the feeling that using the black swan method engenders in somebody else. You're safe to collaborate with me. I'm not going to hurt you. And the best way to teach that is to get somebody to feel like what it is to be on the receiving end of that. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so apart from trying to get their name straight away and apart from going down this yes ladder, what are some other things that people continually, that you see people continually do wrong when it comes to sales or negotiation? Yeah, well, um, talking all the time. Like if you, he or she who talks most loses. So it's uh, how much do you talk? The ratio is really about five to one. You know, all of us said you should talk. You got two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you talk. Well, actually, you got two ears. You got two eyes and a nose. That's five to one. So then are you actually listening? Or when you talk, are you just waiting for your turn to explain? Ronald Reagan said, if you're explaining, you're losing. Now, love him or hate him, Ronald Reagan's emotional intelligence was through the roof. He knew how to persuade people. If you're explaining, you're losing. So when you do talk, you want to be showing the person you're listening or you want to be prompting them in certain ways that make them feel like you understand. And so not only do you want to talk the least, you actually want to demonstrate that you're listening to the other side as opposed to waiting for your turn to have your say. And most salespeople are trained to make a pitch. They're trained to make the value proposition. You know, the pitch that, that is so bad. I mean, that's why I think the elevator speech came, the elevator pitch came into play because if you're explaining you're losing, so if you're only explaining for 30 seconds or the length of time you're on an elevator, at least the other side doesn't feel like they want to blow their brains out because they've been listening to you for so darn long. Yeah. You know, let's at least minimize the explaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is there something particularly like when it comes to, because I'm assuming that the, the game here, because this game's the fun, tactical empathy, collaboration, so is it coming to somewhat of an agreement along the way? Then how to, let's say if you're in sales, what point do you know to be like, okay, so here's, here's the offers and I guess making the close. Is there any sort of special ways you have to get them to close in a, a comfortable way without that slimy kind of? Yeah, way? well, yes is nothing without how. So ignore yes. And if you get into a how conversation, you got a deal. 
what what is yes is nothing without how means. It doesn't matter how much agreement you have. If you don't have a plan for implementing that agreement, it ain't happening. It just ain't happening. So, you know, yes is nothing. How is everything? So get into a, a conversation about how. Yeah. So you mean like in, instead of looking for a yes, is it like, so how do you suggest moving forward? Something like this? Yeah. You know, what are the next steps? How do you, right. how do you want to proceed? Uh, if if you sense it and if you sense you're on a verge of an agreement, you say, "How do you want to proceed? What are okay. the next steps?" Then you put the how do we imp how do we implement this so that we're both happy? Yeah, and then it's uh, they're essentially closed themselves. You've given the power to them. Exactly. That's Philip. right. Yeah, I love it, Chris. This has been incredible. Um, I know the guys have gotten so much from the show. So where can everybody find you, get your book, check you out, and go through all your stuff? Yeah, two things. Uh, books on Amazon. I mean, uh, when I buy the book, I buy it on Amazon. It's always the best price. Find it on Amazon. Now, the smart move then is subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's a complimentary newsletter. That's not why you should, should subscribe. There's a lot of stuff out there that's free that's a waste of your time. It's concise and it's actionable. You get it on Tuesday morning. Go to our website, blackswanltd.com. Upper right-hand corner is a tab for the blog, The Edge. Click on a tab. It'll take you into a bunch of archive articles. We've written concise articles that will be applicable to whatever deal you're in right now. We got stuff on business negotiations, salary negotiations, negotiating down your, your, your utility bills for practice. I mean, we've got something that will meet you where you are. Subscribe to the edge. It'll get you on a, uh, on a subscription list. The Edge, the newsletter is a gateway to everything. Our website is full of free tools. We need to bring you up to speed wherever you are to get you ready for the more advanced stuff. But you got to lay down the essentials first. Buy the book, subscribe to The Edge, and you will be on your way to some really cool stuff. Yes. And yeah, absolutely, guys. Um... Yeah, your content's insane. Uh, really just concise. Like it's like do this and just changes. It's 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 awesome. So um Chris, one right. final question to uh to <clears throat> to wrap this up. Are you ready? We'll put you under some pressure now. You're supposed to say, is it ridiculous if I ask you a final <laughs> question? Are you against me asking you one final question to wrap up this show? Why? Why no? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so if you were to go back to your 18 year old self and give him 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? Yeah. Um, put as much effort into being nice as you put into being assertive. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story and make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.